So the Azusa Street Revival was a historic revival meeting that took place in Los Angeles, California. It was led by William J. Seymour, an African-American preacher. The start of the three-year revival began on the night of April 9th, 1906. Seymour and seven men were waiting on God on Bonnie Bear Street. When suddenly, as though hit by a bolt of lightning, and the other seven men began to speak in tongues and shouting out loud, praising God. The news quickly spread and the city was stirred. Crowds gathered and in a few days later, Seymour himself received the Holy Spirit. Services were moved outside to accommodate the crowds who came from all around. People fell down under the power of God as they approached. People were baptized in the Holy Spirit and the sick were healed and sinners received salvation. To further accommodate the crowds, an old depleted two-story frame building at 312 Azusa Street in the industrial section of the city was secured. This building, originally built for an older church, had more recently been used as a storage building. And this humble Azusa Street mission, a continuous three-year revival occurred and became known around the world. Stanley H. Uh, Frods, uh, Frodsam, or Sam Ham, in his book, with signs following, quotes an eyewitness description of the scene. It says, The revival was characterized by spiritual experiences accompanied with testimonies of physical healings, worship service, and speaking in tongues. The participants were criticized by secular media and Christian theologians for behaviors considered to be outrageous and unorthodox, especially at that time. Today, the revival is considered by historians to be the primary catalyst for the spread of Pentecostalism in the 20th century. I want to pray this evening. Lord, we thank you this evening, dear God, for your word. We ask that you would speak to hearts, dear God. Lord, that you would stir a fire upon every soul, dear God. Lord, that we would leave the old, dear God. Lord, and we would take upon the new, dear God, in your holy name, dear God. Lord, that my confidence would be found in you, that you would speak more, dear God, than what I have to say this evening. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Listen, who we are this evening as a Pentecostal church comes from this very moment in time. It, this was a powerful, powerful revival that lasted three straight years. And we know it, we are on the tail end of this. Who we are comes from this. From these seven men that were waiting on God. Listen, it says the participants were criticized by secular media and Christian theologians for behaviors to be outrageous and unorthodox, especially at that time. And you, and you understand, you have to know even now, people here are speaking in tongues. And that's that crazy church down there. They speak in tongues. They pray for people that are sick. Many times people think we're outrageous or we're crazy. 
You know, you hear people say, well, you know, and they begin to debate. Oh, some people become theologians on why God does not heal and why tongues have ceased. But listen, this is the primary catalyst of what we see now. Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus healed and he stops giving us the power to heal, then that means Jesus is not the same. That Jesus changed. He said, you will do greater things than what I have done. Jesus healed. Listen, this is what we need right now. Right now, where we are at in 2021, we need that spark of revival. We need that spark that's going to set a flame. You know, Miss Sharon was sharing with us earlier. This lady right down the street lit her Bible on fire and it took a spark to ignite a wildfire upon her house. You know what? All it takes is that one spark to spark a revival. But what is it going to take? What is it going to take to spark that revival? I'd be thinking, well, we need people like them. Or we need this, we need that. No, what we need is you. We need you. It's not hundreds of people. That's people's misconception that we need hundreds of people. We need a big church. We see empty church. We think we need all these chairs to be filled for a revival to break out. But that's a misconception. If your mind's set in numbers, then you're going to fail. Because look at what God did with seven people. God's looking for a few willing. God's not looking for hundreds or thousands, which that would be powerful and that would be awesome that we would have hundreds of converted Christians. It says, listen to what it was saying, that as people approached, they fell under the power of God. As they approached this meeting that was going on, that they fell under the power of God, that people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the sick were healed, that sinners, most above everything else, what we do is to reach sinners, preach the word and reach the world, that sinners receive salvation. Under a few willing. And I remember when I first went to our conference, we always have the, the Prescott Conference. I had never been to the conference when we got announced to Pioneer. Where we, I, I would see pictures, you would hear about conference. And as we're approaching the conference, you know, this is the last year that they had the, the, the conference and the huge tent. Man, this tent was huge. The old revival tents. And I began to approach, and you could hear a distinctive sound. I'm like, dude, what is that? And you get closer and closer, and you begin to hear hundreds of people, thousands of people speaking in tongues. And all of a sudden, it feels like you walk into this power. You are walking into this power of God. You're like walking into this dimension just of the Holy Spirit. And I just had chills all through my body because I had never heard so many people speak in tongues at once, praying, laying a hold of God, and they have a huge tent. You walk in there and you see men, women, all walks of life, praising, worshiping God, laying a hold of God, praying. You just feel this fire like, man, this is awesome. But God is looking 
for those that are desperately desiring Him. God's not looking at accolades. God's not looking where you went to seminary school. God's not looking at your degrees. God is looking at the heart of man. He's seeing, are you desperately desiring me? Are you desperate? We see people on the verge of divorce. They begin to get desperate and they do all kinds of crazy. They go buy flowers for their wife. And they're like, they're like, dude, you've never bought me flowers. You've never bought me chocolate. But now they're desperate. They're trying to get things in order. God's looking for those that are desperately desiring Him. Are you desperately desiring God this evening? Are you contending for revival after all of this chaos? What are you contending for this evening? Because we have to be contending for revival. After 2020 has come, ravaged the U.S., the world has beat, shook in people's world upside down, all the chaos. People have been exposed of all kinds of crazy stuff. Political views that people held up so high came and just diminished what... These people are promoting themselves. Come to find out this person's this, this person's that. This guy's a cross-dresser. Never knew until you see them over there walking, dressing like a woman. It's like, what the heck? Listen, but are you contending for revival? We pray for it. We understand it. You could even read the, the account of the Zuzu Street Revival. You, know, you read it. There's documentaries about it. Powerful you could see it, the Jesus people move, movement. You could see it and say, man, that's awesome. But there's, a, there's another facet of it saying, you know what, I'm going to contend for that. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to spread the word. I'm going to reach lost souls. I'm going to reach this next generation. Yesterday, we went outreach and I shared it this morning. A 14-year-old kid, he's a child, all tatted up on his hands. Tatted up 14 years old with another 18-year-old kid. Just lost, you just you just see them off on their own. I'm like, dude, where's your parents at? There's this generation after us that need to hear the gospel. That God's desire, God's desire is to be known among the earth. God wants to be known among the earth. And people say, Well, what about this lost tribe in the middle of the woods? Yeah, I understand that, but what about your neighbors? What about your co-workers? What about the guy that lives a block down from you? When we pioneered, we hit up my whole neighbor. We knocked on every single door in my neighborhood. We looked at the maps and, okay, this day we're going to do this for an hour. And we continue to go on. And we're out there laboring, laboring. And we're still out there laboring. God's desire is to be known among earth. But can he use you? Can you use your life this evening that the passion in your heart for lost souls will determine if He could use you? You have to have passion in your heart. You have to have passion for lost souls. People are passionate about things. You know, when I used to have an office right there on Tupperwine, every Saturday, right, I had a little office there. Every Saturday... You see these guys bring out their cars. Man, nice, beautiful. I love these cars. Vengeance cars. You, know, these are, you talk to these guys and it's like, oh man, this is my baby. This is my pride and joy. That is what their heart's filled with, with this, these vehicles. And they, man, and they brag about, man, I spent $80,000. I spent over $100,000 on these cars. 
Their hearts are filled with that. That is their passion. But us as believers, your passion has to be lost souls. It has to go beyond just us. It has to go beyond our egocentric selves. But the passion in your heart will determine if God could use you. It will be that passion that will incinerate that spark. Your passion is what's going to spark that fire. Listen, that is what the heart of Jesus is filled with. Jesus' heart is filled with lost souls. He said that he was moved with compassion seeing the multitudes. Are you moved with compassion? Someone put on the prayer list, the homeless. When you see homeless people, are you moved with compassion for them? I'm not saying pick them up, take them home and do it. But you have to be willing to have compassion. What is your heart filled with this evening? Acts chapter 4, verse 13 through 14. Say amen if you're there. Come on. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 through 14. If you could put that up there, Ezra. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Listen to what it's saying. They, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They saw these men who were ignorant. This, these men didn't have a degree. They didn't have a doctrine that they're, oh, it, it's Dr. Peter. You hear people say, oh, I went to school. It's Dr. Peter to you. I have a degree in uh, seminary school, so I need you to address me as Dr. Peter. No, it says that they were unlearned men. These men didn't know anything. They were fishermen. These were ignorant men. Yet they marveled at them because they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. When someone looks at you, can they say they've been with Jesus? You know, some people are like, well, I'm going to get a tattoo cross on my arm so they know I'm a Christian. No, your life should radiate the life of Jesus. You don't need a tattoo. You don't need a cross hanging on your neck for someone to say, oh, that's a Christian. That they know, you know what, something's different about you. I marvel how you conduct yourself. I see how you don't cuss. You know, I've been watching you for about a few weeks. I've noticed you've never said a cuss word. You must be a Christian. Listen, it says, Behold, standing the man which was healed with them, they couldn't say anything. They saw this man had been healed and said, you know what, We, we can't debate that. We cannot argue that. So how many did it take to bring revival? It only took two people. It took Peter and John filled with the Holy Ghost that started a revival. It only took two people. Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the zeal of God. Filled with boldness. That they began to preach God's word and they marveled and revival broke out with two people. Yet we think we need hundreds of people To bring revival and converse. We think that we need this whole church to be filled. Listen, it only took seven people to start a revival on April 9th. 
1906. I count about a good seven people here. Imagine that. Two, four, six, seven, including my wife and the kids. That's all it took for a revival to break out. God poured out his Holy Ghost upon these people for three years straight. People complain because we have three services a week. These people had church three years straight. Pastor, didn't we just have been discipleship? Then Sunday service, Sunday night, Wednesday, now revival. And then I look at your calendar for the year. Now you got two more revivals. Listen, they cannot debate the signs and wonders that followed. They cannot debate that. The people always try to debate scripture. But they look at your life and they cannot debate the power and the miracle work that God has done in your life. Tell people, you know, we witness to people and they say, oh man, the Mormon and this and that, I'm a Mormon and this and that. Begin to share my testimony. What has your God done for you? And they're just like, humming out, humming out, humming out, humming out, humming out. All right, and they get on their little bicycles and they take off. Listen to this. The church will take the character of its people. The church will take the character of its people. Your character, who you are this evening, what's in your heart is going to, it's going to determine the character of this church. As you sit here this evening, what's filled in your heart, what's filled in your mind, is going to determine the character of this church. Pastor, that doesn't work. Outreach. Pfft. Let's just go Facebook Live. Let's go do this. Why do we need that outreach? We'll just pay and we'll have the mail, the mailman pass out flyers to everybody. Revival, that's old. That doesn't work anymore. Speaking in tongues, you're going to scare people away. Let's not speak in tongues. Let's not pray for the, the sick. Your prayer life. You praying for the church. Praying for your brothers and sisters. Praying for me, God, to help pastor. Give them insight into your word that your word may convey to our hearts, to your people that are seeking your answers, God. I always pray for my pastor. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Your Bible studying, you studying God's word, your witnessing, your love. I remember when we had our grand opening, people came in, they're like, man, I love your church. Like, I feel love in your church. I feel something different. Man, praise God because the church is taking the character of its people. That this would set the characteristics of the church. And this is what people are going to see and feel when they come in, as a new person comes in. Hey, how are you doing, man? How did you hear about us? We're glad that you're here. We're going to say, ah, forget that. Man. Probably not even going to make it. You see them when you purposely turn around and people are just like, Okay, and just leave. Listen, that the church can be tainted by its people as well. The spirit within you can pollute the church. Immorality, slander, gossip, lying, conformity. People become conformed. And they impart that don't listen to Pastor. That dude's crazy, man. That dude's, that dude, 
He's too radical, man. You don't have to go to that outreach, man. No, you begin to hear, hey, that doesn't work anymore. Slander. Hey, sister, come here. I want, I want you to help me pray for this sister. Because did you see what she was wearing? Let's pray for her. You know, it's a form of gossip. Listen, this will hinder the Holy Ghost from moving. If the church begins to take this attitude, this characteristic, God's like, I'm not going to use y'all. This church is filled with all crazy nonsense. It is when people begin to seek God and their hearts are filled for the things of God, where God says, I'm not going to shift this church into the next gear. Because we want revival in our cities. Amen. We pray for Live Oak. We pray for Kirby. We pray for our grandmother church, our mother church. Pray for all of our churches, missionaries, because we want revival in their cities. Yes, and we are here, you are here because you're believing God for greater things. You're not here because, oh man, Pastor Joseph, man, he preaches like just fire all the time. No, you're, you are here, even though I do preach fire all the time. Come on. Man. <laughs> like, no, but you're here because you're believing God for greater things. You're saying, God, I need you to move upon my life on this need. You're here because you're coming with an expectancy to hear from God. God, that this word would help me shift me in my walk with you. That it would take me to the next level with you, God. That you would advance me in my struggle, in my shortcoming, in my... God, I'm tired of falling to this. But help me, God, take me in the next step with my walk with you. You're here because you're believing God for greater things. And there are people out there who haven't stepped into this church that are pleading with God for greater things. We've been on the hot ritual. We knock on someone's door and they answer the door and say, you know what? My name's Joseph. We're with the Parsons Christian. And they just break down crying. Are you okay? What's going on? You don't understand. I was just praying 30 minutes ago. God, if you're real, send someone to me. Show me that you're real. And here you are. And we see people break down and cry because... We know there's people out there pleading with God. God, if you're real, send me someone. Show me that you're real, God. Prove yourself to me. This is why we go out outreaching, sharing the gospel. Listen, that there is a fear of death out there. People are scared to die. The reality is that we're all going to die. Everyone here in this room... One point or another, we're going to die, not unless God will return this evening or if God would return before then and take his people up, then we will not face death. But if God was to tarry, we're going to face death. There is a fear of death out there. People do not want to die. They're scared to die. I hear it all the time. Tell me, Pastor, I don't want to die. I'm scared of the virus. People that don't come to church. I'm talking about unsafe people. I'm scared. I don't want to die. Help me. What can I do? I was like, look, first you have to come to terms with death. You're going to die. Whether it be COVID, whether it be cancer, natural death, whatever it may be, you will die. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. And what happened? He died again. There is a fear of death out there, but it is our job to go out there and share the gospel and let people know that there is hope in Jesus.
Psalm chapter 80, verse 3. It tells us, turn us again. Or in the other translations, tells us, restore. Restore, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Oh, that God will shine his face upon his people. That God will save his people. Saying, God, just shine your face on us and we will be saved. That God will turn people from their egocentric desires. Listen, that when you turn your eyes from yourself and onto others, people will be saved. If you, if you never fixate your eyes on others, people will never be saved. We, we know, and we can get all technical with that. But when you're just focused on yourself, it's about me, it's about moi, it's about what I want. Listen, you will never share the gospel with other people. That you had to... Look at others. It said John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address inspired children and adults to see the importance of civil action and public service. Listen to what he said. Many of y'all have heard this. Heard this part of countless times and you will hear this many times again. But this is very powerful and very relevant to the message of this evening. His historic words were, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what can you do for your country. Listen, when he spoke these words, something took over the nation at that time. That he challenged every American to contribute in some way to the public good. Listen, that you should be challenged as a Christian to contribute in advancing God's kingdom. Maybe your schedule does not permit for you to go that outreach. Maybe you're not called to pioneer church, but you say, God, you know what? I want to give my resources to help those that do want to go. We have concerts. Maybe you're not able to attend a concert, but say, you know what, Pastor? I want to provide resources that you could help, you know, establish this concert. Whether y'all are going to serve food here, I'm going to provide so y'all can buy hot dogs, whatever it may be. Do y'all need some? You know, I'll provide resources that everyone will contribute. Maybe you're not talented to sing, rap, play the guitar, whatever, but you say, you know what? I want to support God's work and advance God's kingdom. That every Christian should be challenged to contribute and advancing God's kingdom. You could easily translate John F. Kennedy's words into this. It's not what the church can do for you, but ask, what can you do for God's church? You always see people come. Always see it, man. Come. They knock on the door. They come, hey, Pastor, can, I talk? Pastor, can you give me money? I'm like, bro, I was about to ask you for $5. <laughs> you know, we always come in, people always come in with an expectancy of, what can the church do for me? What can y'all do for me? If I come, I need this, this, this. And you have this list of what you need the church to do before you could even be faithful. Rather to say, what can I do for the church? Pastor, how can I contribute in the church? What can I offer in the church? How can I advance the gospel with y'all? 
I want to link up with the church side by side to move the church forward. We have a misconception of what the church can do for us before we could decide to come. Before we could even come. I talked to people and they began to throw all this spiel before they could even come to church. If I come, then this, this, this. I need you to meet these needs before I could even come to church. I need you to fix my car. I, can you cut my grass? If you cut my grass, then I'll go to church. Listen, that mentality will hinder you and the Spirit of God from breaking out in revival. People ask me, Pastor, how long is service? I tell them, hey man, we have churches. How long is service? And right, and my, I don't say in my mind, it's like, dude, you got it wrong already. That is the wrong mentality to come before God. As if other things are more important rather to proclaim how long you've been in the presence of God. How long is church? It's an hour and a half. It's too long. Rather to say, you know what? I've been in the presence of God this morning. I was in the presence of God this evening. I was in the presence of God this Wednesday. Listen, eternity is an eternity. Yet people complain how long church is. You want to be in God's presence, right? Eternity means it's never going to end. Imagine being in church never ending. We could, man, people could hardly stand an hour and a half. Listen, as a pastor myself, as I'm out there, you know, I just picture me running out this thing. You know, it's like a like the bee, the the bees. You see the beehive. See the bees leaving the nest and they come back. They go out there back and forth. They're just working, laboring. And I saw we have a honey thing, a honey, uh, honey bees on the entire house last year. And you would see them go to the trees and back. They're laboring, working back and forth, back and forth. And I, I was looking at that. I was like, I feel like that's me out there trying to reach lost souls, bringing them into the church, back and forth, back and forth. And I began to find myself trying to convince people to come to church. Just come to church, man. This, that. But the reality is, God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything at all. Listen, He gave you life this morning, regardless with or without infirmities. Well, why am I like this? Man, be glad that God's given you life. But we have to readjust our sight and ask, what can I do for the church? It's going to take your involvement. Sometimes it's getting your hands dirty. Sometimes it's going to take your resources. It's going to take your commitment. It's going to take finances. Go ask, hey, Pastor, do I have to tithe out my income tax? The Bible says that tithe out of your first, the first fruits of everything, of every increase. Well, you know, with the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, and they get all technical. I'm like, look, man, if you want to get that technical, then do what you want to do. You're going to answer to God. But your desire should be to follow Jesus. So you know what? I'm willing to go all in. I'm ready to forsake all for your kingdom, for your church. If we want revival to break out, this is what it's going to take. Azusa Street took seven people. We don't need hundreds. We just need a few willing this evening. I like every head bowed, every eye closed in the reverence to God.
And this evening, no one moving, no one getting up. And the reverence to our Lord and Savior this evening. And there are lost souls out there. At the center of what we do, at the center of the ministry of Jesus Christ was to reach lost souls. This is why we do what we do. Is that, that these lost souls would have an encounter with Jesus Christ. That sinners would receive salvation. That we could be a vessel used by God. God's not looking for perfection. Though we should strive for it. God's not looking at your talents. Your eloquence of speech. He's not looking at your gifts. He's not looking how much money you have. He's not looking at your possessions. He's looking at the heart. The desire that's within your heart. The passion, the fire that's within your heart. Paul says that he goes through that looking, looking for, he, for that person that he could use. My question to you this evening, can he use you? Can he shift something in your life? Can he change the ways that you've been selling to say, you know, I'm ready to go beyond where I'm at. I'm ready to leave the old me and take a new life in Christ. Maybe this evening you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never made a serious decision for the kingdom of God. Maybe you've just been focused on yourself and what you could benefit from the kingdom of God. You've had your vision misconstrued and you're ready to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready to make an honest decision for you. I've never given you my life. I've never given you my soul. I've never given you full access to my life. That is you just with an uplifted hand as a sign to God saying, Jesus, that is me. I'm ready to give you my life. Maybe you've had a relationship with Christ and you're not where you should be. In your heart, you've taken a step back. Maybe you function as a believer. You know the lingo, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But in your heart, you're far, far, far away from God. God knows my heart, but the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is wicked, and who can know it? God searches the heart. Maybe that's you. Not trying to embarrass you, but that you would raise your hand and say, I'm ready to make a recommitment to Christ. To reestablish my walk with you, Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus once, twice, praise God. What I want to do then is I want to change the order of the service.
I want to open these altars for a time of prayer. I encourage you, come to the altar. Come handle business with God. Maybe God dealt with you. Totally something different. God spoke to your heart. I encourage you, come to this altar and handle business with God. For the rest of us, we're going to stand to our feet as we sing.